Hey there, it's April 24th, and this is the Sunday edition of CNN Five Things. I'm David Rind. In case you missed it, last Friday was Earth Day, and there's a lot to consider when it comes to the health of our planet. It's pretty big and really complex. But for most people, they think about this a little more simply. What's the weather like outside? Will I need an umbrella on my way to work? For many of us, the answer to that question over the past few years has become extremely unpredictable. We have a coastal flood threat for a large population density along the East Coast, including the nation's capital. I've been here for about 30 years and I never see nothing like this. All of the largest cities in Texas have been hammered by snow and ice. How about if I told you in Portland, Oregon, they recorded their first snowfall in the month of April in recorded history. That's never happened before in the month of April. In fact, of- recent polling shows us that more Americans are experiencing extreme weather than ever before. And that's convincing some people what scientists have known for a long time, that the impacts of climate change are already being felt. Let's spend five minutes with CNN's chief climate correspondent, Bill Weir. He's been tracking all of this. Bill, first off, what does this polling tell us about how people are experiencing the climate crisis? Well, it finds that one in three Americans, a third of the country, has been affected by some kind of extreme weather in the past couple of years. Gallup never asked this question before because they thought the number would be too low. Hmm. But that is a big number. And it also sort of casts a light on the different attitudes towards a changing climate, depending on political party. Democrats much more likely to say 45 to 20 over Republicans to say they have been impacted by this extreme weather. But both parties, if you have experienced a flood in your house or lost a few seasons of crops in a row in a freakish way, uh, both parties are 10 or 15 points more likely to, to say yes to that question. And it also casts a light on just how politicized this topic has been for so long, you know, fueled by an awful lot of misinformation out there that people are still coming to grips with the reality of it. And even if you're living through, say, a 22-year drought, as long as the water is still coming out of the taps, as long as the fountains are still pumping at the Bellagio in Vegas, you're not going to say you're a victim of climate change yet. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, so you kind of alluded to it. So what do these extremes look like on the ground? Like, how is this playing out around the country? Uh, it's, uh, well, around the world, it's playing out in, yeah. in, in, in all kinds of ways. But of course, out, out west is that mega drought, the worst in about 1,200 years uh, or so. We saw around the world and in, in Africa, there was horrible flooding. You know, they got four months of rain in a few hours. We're seeing these freakish weather patterns at the top and the bottom of the world. Uh, 70 degrees Fahrenheit above normal in the South Pole, 50 degrees above normal at the North, which should never happen because they're polar opposites by definition. I I call it the age of broken record breaking, because if you look back, that's all we talk about is we set sort of new extremes. You can't paddle around Lone Rock anymore. I'd been hearing how the West has been suffering this 22-year drought now, the worst in 1,200 years. And I grew up in Colorado. Uh, I've rafted the the Grand Canyon. uh, And back in 2015, we did that story. And it was, boy, the red flags were everywhere. I hadn't really been back there since. And the lake used to go, used to go half a mile around the corner. And I was shocked by how far the water levels have fallen in Lake Powell. And now it starts way back here. I cannot believe this. Now, Powell and Mead are sort of like the first national banks of life. They built the Hoover Dam, the Glen Canyon Dam, 
to create these reservoirs of water and, and control the flow for agriculture and cities, and 40 million people depend on that. Well, I learned to drive in the middle of the 80s. I drove past Lake Powell then. As a punk kid back then, the water was 177 feet higher than it is today. Wow. This was, was connected straight up there, so. At one point, the, we would have been high enough that that would have been a, a that, straight angle. Yeah. This is not a decade or two. This is a year or two since it's dropped. Yeah, this is within two to three years. And it's going to take a decade or more of steady rain to recharge those reservoirs. And so the only option is to conserve a lot more. And Vegas, frankly, is one of the best in the world at conserving water. It's changing the mindset out there. And for a long time, we thought, hey, it's the American right to grow cotton in the desert. Not anymore. So you're, you're saying some of these extremes are really impacting businesses and the way people live on a daily basis out there. They are starting to, especially with those in agriculture. The Colorado River Compact was written back in days when the flow was so much bigger than it was today. And so that water was over allocated to seven states in Mexico. But Arizona farmers were the first uh, as for the first time Lake Mead got so low that they had to restrict water flow. Would you label your business a victim of drought? We've had to change the way, obviously, the way we do a lot of things. Uh, at this point, I would not say we're a victim. I yeah. would say we're an adapter. But again, it, it is all a matter of affluence, just like so many other factors of our economy. There's the haves and the have-nots. And poor communities are struggling with clean water, not just out west, but around the, the country. Uh, but those decision makers, you know, they haven't tasted that the pain as much as some of the others have. Mm. So let's talk about the decision makers then. Can we check in on the Biden administration? Because they came into office talking a really big game about climate. We're going to do the most for climate, and it's going to be a factor in all, everything we do policy-wise. They were going to lead on the world stage. Are they living up to that promise? Uh, not really. But he has a couple of good excuses, um, namely Joe Manchin and Vladimir Putin. Today uh, is Climate Day at the White House, and uh, which means that today is a Jobs Day at the White House. You know, he came in, canceled Keystone XL, filled his cabinet uh, with climate hawks, made it an all of government approach, made grand plans for a three and a half trillion dollar package to address all kinds of climate issues that really touch every part of the economy. Because scientists are saying that we are not doing enough. Let me ask you this. Why should I be in school if you guys won't listen to the science? Let me ask you, you here, if you won't listen to the facts, facts, listen one second, I'll give you the facts. Well, Manchin and in a lesser part, Senator Sinema from Arizona basically tomahawked away at that thing until it's a shell of its former self and essentially dead. Well, I know is that America's not doing enough. America's doing everything it possibly can. We're going to do a lot more. And then on top of that, You've got a land war in Europe and inflation and energy shocks and all of that made a very difficult job much, much harder. He has, as a result of that, really angered folks in the environmental wing of his party by opening lease sales again on national land for oil drilling and fracking. It's a much smaller footprint than was out there before, but it's still going in the wrong direction. Right, but he said he wouldn't do it at all, period. He said he wouldn't do it at all, period. No more subsidies for fossil fuel industry. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. 
And just, you know, to set the framing on this, what the scientists are all screaming at us is we have to get to zero <laughs> fracking and drilling as soon as humanly possible in order for us to hold below two degrees. Uh, you know, by some estimates, in order to hold the temperature below two degrees, we need to put 17 carbon capture machines online every day for the next 10 years. And right now there's less than 20 in the world. You know, just the physics of the challenge ahead are so huge that any move in the other direction is, is just making it all that much harder in the long run. And so he opened up the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. He he lifted the summer ban on ethanol. Yeah, I wanted to ask, is, is politics uh, that big a factor here? Gas prices rising high, midterms coming up. And yeah. they say, you know, we got to do something about that. He's trying to walk a tightrope, you know, at, at a time when, when people are pulling up to the pump and seeing that number and getting angry and not understanding the full ramifications of why that number is so high. But the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, which is hardly, uh, you know, liberal tree huggers, they say that around the world, fossil fuel companies are subsidized to over $5 trillion a year. The only thing standing in the way really uh, is politics and the corporate interests who like to keep pumping oil as long as they can. Hmm. So bottom line, level with me here. Should I feel doomed about all of this when it comes to climate change or is there, there any reason to hope here? You know, what, how do you see this? I think we should all show serious concern. It's too early for doom. You know, hope dies last. If you'd have asked me two years ago, do you think we can come up with a COVID vaccine anytime soon? I'd have said no. Um, but look what happened. You know, what happens when scientists around the world are given the same mandate and funded properly, and you've got tens of thousands of volunteers lining up for trials, you know, three approved vaccines in record-breaking time. If that kind of energy was focused at this problem, you know, somebody's going to make a billion dollars figuring out a way for cement mixers not to idle all day. <laughs> Idling trucks put more pollution into the sky than the ones on the road. Somebody's going to make a billion dollars figuring out a replacement for the, the fertilizer that's killing the Gulf of Mexico. There's so much out there and it's going to happen. It's just a matter of how much pain people are going to have to experience as a result of all this delay. Hmm. Bill Weir, our chief climate correspondent. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Here's something else that's happening this week, and it's happening right now. Voters head to the polls today in France in the second and final round of that country's presidential election. It's a rematch from 2017, with Emmanuel Macron trying to hold on to the job against his far-right challenger Marine Le Pen. Lots of issues front and center, including COVID policies at home and a war on European soil in Ukraine. The Sunday edition of CNN Five Things is produced by Paolo Ortiz and me, David Rind. Our production manager is Matt Dempsey. Our senior producer is Mohamed Darwish. Our supervising producer is Greg Peppers, and the executive producer of CNN Audio is Megan Marcus. Remember, Five Things is on all week long. We update five times a day, so you don't miss a thing. Please leave a rating and a review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. I'm David Ryan. Talk to you later.